Does your health and wellness business need to be compliant with APRA? If yes, you're probably aware of all the advertising restrictions. Or maybe you're not. In today's episode of Marketing and Me, I'm chatting with fellow health copywriter Narissa Bentley on this touchy subject. She advises what you can and can't do to safely promote your business and avoid extensive fines. It's been a while since I've done an episode with an interview, but Narissa was a great one to chat to on this topic, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Let's jump in. Hello, and welcome to the Marketing and Me podcast. The show covers marketing and copywriting strategies to attract more clients to your health and wellness business, while also helping you build a stronger and more positive mindset. I'm your host, Leanne Shelton, and I manage a team who can transform your words from rough ramblings to meaningful messages via outsourced copywriting or training. Now, before we delve into today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to the show to ensure you always have easy access to inspiring and actionable tips. And today I'm joined by my guest, Nerissa Bentley. Welcome, Nerissa. Thanks for having me, Leanne. Thank you. We've we've gone way back, um, back to clever copywriting days, um, community days. I don't know when it was that we first connected, but um, I was, I think it was about five years ago that I joined it. So it could very well be five years ago. Um, (laughs) So I'll just read out your bio and then we'll get to know you a little bit better. So Narissa is the Melbourne health writer, a leading Australian health and medical writer. She creates credible evidence-based, evidence-based AHPRA compliant health copy for national organizations, global, uh, global companies and health practitioners so they can connect with patients and the wider community and be seen as a trusted health authority in their field. She's worked with Cancer Australia, Medibank, Jean Hales, Muscular Disease Foundation Australia, Avarian Cancer Australia, Terry White, Kemark, all these big, <laughs> big names, the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, and many more. She also specializes in helping health practitioners comply with HPR or APRA. APRA. APRA, so much easier, uh, advertising guidelines. And when she's not walking her rescue dog named Skittles, Nerissa loves to relax with a good book with a sneaky red wine. Doesn't have to be sneaky. That's okay. <laughs> um, and apparently she can see ghosts. And I, I want to ask about that because, you know, that's just random. It is, it is <laughs> random because I'm not, when I my when I write my health content, I'm not woo-woo at all, but I do have a woo-woo side. Right. So, yeah, I've seen a couple of ghosts mm. and I've had a ghostly experiences many times. Um, so I've had experience in uh, Tasmania and my husband saw the same thing at the, <clears throat> excuse me, at the same time and we didn't even talk about it until the next day. So it was really, really bizarre. Um, and, yeah, I've, I've seen ghosts, I've felt ghosts and I've smelt ghosts. So they, smelt? What does smell like? Well, this one was a ghost from Beechworth, so in the asylum, and it was um, a, a matron who was quite nice. She was a really nice matron um, who did music and that pet therapy because the asylum was really not a very nice place to go to and I had this awful stenchy really stale florally perfume following me and I said to my girlfriend can you smell that and she couldn't smell it and we would be in small enclosed spaces and I was sneakily smelling everybody's hair thinking what shampoo or what perfume and nobody smelled of anything but then 
we would be walking a great big lot, huge field and I'd get this waft. And so I asked the tour guide um, and she said, oh, you've had Nurse Sharp walking around with you. That is her perfume. She wore floral perfume wherever she went. And, you know, she's been walking around with you tonight because sometimes people have seen her as well walk through walls and <laughs> all kinds of things. So, yeah. That is freaky. But no Nobody one else, else could smell, smell it. it. Like no, only me. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting because I, I personally haven't seen any ghosts. I don't, I mean, I'm open. To, I mean, I'd be freaked out, but I'd be open to it. <laughs> um, mum has, she's oh, smelt wow. them too. Like she's walked into a, an old house in England and she could smell this really strong lavender smell on one part of the staircase and nobody else yeah. could smell it, just my mum. And they, they there was something to do with a person who used to either wear lavender perfume or something and they died there. Or, I, I, or There was some story as to why there was um, lavender just there uh, and she could smell it. Um, there you go. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, so we're not talking about ghosts. <laughs> like, I, just, I just read that. I'm like, I, I have to just comment on that. Um, so anyone listening may be like, why the hell am I getting Narissa on the show? And she's also a health and wellness writer like me. But you know what? This is the whole thing when I originally joined the Clever Copywriting community going, how is this like, uh, these are my competitors, right? But no, it's like we do completely different things. I've gone, I guess, more focused on the training side of things. Um, Narissa does a whole bunch of other stuff. And so we can, you know, we haven't worked with it yet, but we probably could uh, very easily. So she knows a lot more about the APRA compliance stuff. I know the absolute basics. So I thought it'd be great to have her on the show because I know this has come up when I've been doing training, for example, uh, for blogging for people. And they're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't set up the website copy. Uh, So I really, I thought it'd be really good to delve into that. Um, but first of all, share with us just briefly a bit more about your business journey. How did you get to, I guess, this niche and into the whole copywriting world? Yeah, well, look, I um, I don't know if you can hear that screeching sound in the background. There's some road work or something, so that's okay. Um, so, yeah, look, I started my business nearly 10 years ago. So I was working for a corporate wellness company part-time. So my background, I have uh, journalists qualifications and I've worked in marketing and communication Um, and then once I had my children I was working part-time for a corporate wellness company and then they restructured and wanted me to sort of be full-time in the office and I said look it doesn't really suit so then I set out to be my own boss Um, so initially I was like a generalist health copywriter or generalist copywriter not health but over time, I realized that health was what I really liked writing the most. It was what I was really, really good at and what I found easy. And having that grounding from working corporate um, wellness company, I'd learned a lot on how to write for health organizations. And so it was a natural progression from there. So once I decided that I wanted to just purely focus on health and medical, then I niched um, and rebranded as the Melbourne Health Writer. And now I get to work with all the brands that were once upon a time on my bucket wish list and they're now in my little gallery on my website. So, um, and it's, I also find it really rewarding because I know the work that I do actually makes a difference to real people in the way, whether they reading information or, you know, people who need patient information are often in a very vulnerable space. So it's really nice to know that what I'm creating actually is useful and helpful and helps them sort of detangle all of that medical jargon that's often thrown at them. 
Yeah. And, and I remember when you did that rebrand <laughs> and it was all, I remember it was very scary. Like, ah. uh, but uh, look, you're actually one of the reasons why I decided to niche because you were on the panel with a, a Copycon like yeah. four years ago, or whatever it was. And I was on the fence because I was really like, I just don't want to block it off. But it, it's it's so true that if you really understand the space and you attract those big clients who are like, oh, you get this. Um, and do you get mainly Melbourne-based organisations mm. because you've got Melbourne in your name? So um, I get clients from everywhere. So, you know, I'm working, currently I'm working with a a doctor who's setting up his practice in Mount Isa. So I'm writing his web copy. I've worked with people based over in Perth and people in Sydney, people in Adelaide. I mean, look, I do get a lot of um, Melbourne people, but the large organisations, most of them are either based in Melbourne or Sydney. So it's kind of, you know, um, I guess, you know, when you find the right people to work with, it doesn't really matter where they're located, especially in this day and age with technology and things like that. We don't need to be in offices all the time anymore. Um, COVID really showed us that. So it just means that I'm able to help a whole wide range of different people and um, doesn't have to be based here in Melbourne or Victoria. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, okay, so let's go into a bit more about Opera. And I feel like I have to say it like that. Um, <laughs> so who or what is it and, and why they're important? Okay, so APRA stands for the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency. So they manage 15 different health boards. So there's different, so there's people like physios, osteos, dentists, Chinese medicine practitioners, um, doctors themselves. Um, so there's 15 different groups that they manage and oversee. So part of their job is to make sure that consumers can make informed decisions about their health. And you know, and I know, and everybody else knows that when we see an advertisement for something, we're really swayed to go and buy that thing, even if it's not in our best interest to do so, even if we don't have the money to do it, even if we don't want it, um, and so that same thing happens when we are choosing health services is that we can easily be swayed to booking a, a service we don't need, seeing a practitioner who may not be as qualified as where they need to be. And so APRA is, has developed this um, these advertising guidelines that all health practitioners that are, re they, that are regulated by APRA must follow. So a lot of practitioners get very frustrated because they they think, oh, I just want to be able to say this and this and APRA doesn't get it. But APRA doesn't exist to make health practitioners' lives difficult. They exist so it protects the consumer and the patients. Um, and so that's what they do a lot of things, but that's what their role is in terms of the advertising guidelines is to really protect people so they can make informed decisions. And when practitioners write misleading or deceptive coffee so it doesn't they don't even have to mean to do it it doesn't it means that people can't make those informed decisions they don't have all the information available so that's why those guidelines exist yeah i have i mean i've seen knowing the basic knowledge that i know i've seen some copy before going oh guaranteed you'll have this transformation and I'm like, oh, like I definitely <laughs> But what, I mean, what gets me, okay, I want to ask you how how health practitioners can comply with these advertising guidelines. And in regards to, I guess, tie that in with testimonials, because I know that's a little 
I don't know, I've heard that's borderline, you can't you can't do it or you can in some yeah. circumstances or something. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, so look, um, health practitioners need to be very careful about what they say on their website. So first of all, advertising can cover a whole lot of different things. So it's anything that draws attention to their business. So it can be print, it can be online, it can be advertising, it can be billboards, it can be your business card, your letterhead, Anything that promotes your business is considered to be advertising, even the email footer that you send out. So all of the APRA guidelines apply to those those ways of advertising. Um, <clears throat> so the way um, like they, they've developed a set of advertising guidelines, but quite honestly, they are really hard to A, find on the website. Um, you know, there's multiple things you can click through to get to them. They're often hard to read and understand and health practitioners don't have the time quite frankly you know they're, they're busy treating patients running a business um, doing all those things that they need to do day to day so um, it's really really tricky for them to comply but um, one of the key things that I see there's two key areas that I see health practitioners getting it wrong is one is that they don't use acceptable evidence when writing health claims so acceptable evidence is quite an in-depth thing in itself but it's basically um you you have to make if you're making a health claim so for example if you're a chiropractor and you're talking about the chiropractic treatment um and you are making claims about its benefits it has to, that claim must stand up to very strong um scrutiny and it must rank highly on six different levels so the source of the study um, you know, where did it come from? And there's a whole lot of, I've written a blog on it um, on my website about testimonials, about about, oh, yeah, about acceptable yeah. evidence and there's another blog about testimonials. So, um, you know, the source, it also has to be in, in the English language. It can't be something that wasn't published in English. Um, the study must be relevant. So, you know, if there's a study talking about office workers um, and dealing with neck pain, you can't apply that to people who are construction workers because it's not the same people, right? So it has to be relevant. Um, you can't have studies involving animals because health practitioners don't treat animals. So APRA's studies for credible evidence is very different to clinical evidence. So clinical, you can use animal studies, but APRA, you, you can't. Um, you need to make sure that all of the findings are included in the research. So not just pulling out the bits that you like, um, and they have to be <laughs> multiple findings across multiple channels. So it's not just one group of people. It has, to, you know, the more people who find the same thing, um, the better. It has to be um, a high level study as well. So looking at things, whether it's, you know, systemic reviews is one of the highest level. So that's a, a study where they look at a whole group of research studies and then they review that um, and come back with those um, findings. It has to be a high quality study. So it must, you know, meet all those sort of international guidelines about how you do a proper study. Um, and it has to be a strong one. So you have to include all of the data, not just the bits that you think might, you know, um, present your your sort of point of view um, and the evidence has to be clinically significant. So, you know, how many people in that study had that result? Is it clinically significant? So it's a quite an in-depth way of looking at that evidence. And that's a really time-consuming thing to do is to go and A, source studies, B, check if they do stack up to all of those six um, things um, and then see, understand it, and then write that copy. So um, that's one one reason why health practitioners um, are often not compliant. 
And the second area is those testimonials. So you're right. Yes, you can and no, you can't. <laughs> um, so th the basic the basic rule is anything that involves um, talking about a, an aspect of clinical care. So anything that might mention why the patient came, so what was their condition, what the treatment was and what the outcome was, you cannot use. So that's where practitioners get. I thought you'd able to use that because you're given the no, context. No, because no. those testimonials don't talk about risks, risk or side effects. They also, because we like, you know, we believe testimonials a lot, but they, that just because they got a good result doesn't mean somebody else will. And so it's not an mm. accurate representation of the benefits of treatment. It's a biased view. It's often a view of somebody who doesn't have health and medical knowledge as well. They've just had a great experience. And, you know, you only have to re read reviews at a restaurant. Some people have wonderful experiences. Some people don't. And so what's the, tr what's the truth in there, yeah. you know? Um, and, of course, health practitioners are only ever going to publish the, the nice, you know, flowery, oh, we're so wonderful. So it's not really a, a um, it's not an unbiased view. So for that reason, health practitioners cannot do use any of that stuff. They just cannot, and that's where they get really frustrated. And I do get it because they do have, um, great results sometimes from people that they've helped and they just want to help more people. That's the thing, you know, health practitioners, the majority who breach the guidelines, they don't mean to and they don't intend to. They just want to help more patients. Um, but in terms of the testimonials you can use, um, you can uh, you can mention the friendliness of the staff, the cleanliness of the clinic, how well easy it is to get to with public transport, um, all of those airy fairy kind of things. That that's what that, that's why my health practitioner said oh, that's just so airy fairy. It means nothing, yeah, yeah. but it actually you know it does because when you've got people saying, look, these people listen to you. Like you can say, my practitioner really listens. They are caring. They are empathetic. They're friendly. They're welcoming. People will go, oh, that sounds really nice. I might book an appointment. So it does help people make a decision, but it's not giving them an unrealistic expectation of what their treatment outcome will be. And that's what APRA is about. You can't give people unrealistic expectations because that is considered to be misleading or deceptive. Yeah, because, yeah, it's kind of this customer experience yeah. then, which is very different. So you could say, I went to this chiropractor for my neck. They were amazing, blah, blah, blah. They listened to me. They Within three treatments, I was fixed, blah, blah. But you actually no, told me I'd no. say that. Um, no, no, that's something I it? And they were so welcoming and um, friendly. And, and, I'd go I, back again. Yeah, and, and I really enjoyed the way they listened to me. That's all you can yeah. say. Yeah. So it could, yeah. So what do you do with Google reviews? So then? that's a really good question. Um, APRA doesn't hold health practitioners accountable for reviews that are posted on third-party platforms. So Google reviews, because they know that they're not in charge of all of that. However, if the practitioner then engages with that review, that is considered to be advertising. They can, so you can't you reply. Cannot reply. If you reply, you're in breach. Because that's not yet. So even if you get a terrible review, um, although if they're saying, oh, I couldn't get a car park or, you know, some, then you can respond to that because it's not clinical aspect of care. Anything gotcha. that relates to the clinical aspect, why you're there, what the treatment, what's the outcome. 
you cannot mention and you cannot respond. So even if you get a face, but if you get a Facebook review, the health practitioner does control that platform. So they need to turn reviews off so they can't get them. Or they or they get one and they just delete it. You know, they have to sort of screen it before it's published. So so you yes, you can. Um I do see look my doctor surgery asks for Google reviews all the time. Um, I don't give them because I know you're not supposed to. <laughs> um, but, you know, once you start interacting with third-party ones, you're considered to be complicit in that review. It's seen as a testimonial and you can be in trouble for that. Wow. Okay. So I want to ask you about blogging because obviously that's one of my <clears throat> key things I talk to people about. So, but what you were saying before, if they want to include any kind of facts and figures, they have to include like the whole research. So it's very hard to write a blog and just grab this fact from here and this fact from here. So how how can someone write a blog without seeing, seeming biased or you have to have it really generic information or, or what are your tips on that? So, look, I've just... Um... I've worked with a, an osteopath and we together wrote a paper about the benefits of laser therapy for um, pain management in a clinical setting, right? So we talked about laser therapy, what it was. We sourced all these research papers and then we looked at the evidence and what did the evidence say about the effectiveness of laser therapy? therapy so we use then we use the studies and then we said so you know laser therapy is effective for um low whatever it was i don't quote me because it's i don't have that in front of me but it might have been for treating um lower back pain and neck pain and knee pain so and then we have the reference after every little thing what we wrote there's the reference you go and look at that paper there's There's a link for that go and look at that paper so you can you can say it. You just got a reference. Reference the hell out of it. Okay, cool. On, cool. Yeah. So that's where you. Then that's why um, a lot of practitioners have trouble is because they don't know where to reference these papers. Like you know, they they've got their own little body. So for example, um, the the chiropractors they've got their own board, and so they've got people in there who can help them with that. But that's not their full job. You know, it's finding these papers and working out. A, what do they actually say and are they robust and all of that kind of stuff is a real skill. Um, so, yes, you can be generic, but if you want to be specific and say, look, you know, we're talking about chiropractic treatments for the treatment of neck pain and lower back pain, you can do that, but you need to have those studies that you're referencing so you can prove and back up that claim. Otherwise, mm-hmm. how do you know that that's fact? And, and these have to be quality resources well, as well, right? You yeah, can't just... that's those six steps of evidence, they have to stack yeah. up on all of those things. So it has to be what, I guess you say, if it's like a university research study or an association thing. Um... Yeah, or um, so, you know, the source, where, where was it published? It has to be a peer-reviewed study as well. So um, it has to go through that peer-review process. Um, often people will give me studies and go, it's one person has just written that paper. There's no peer review. It hasn't been published in a journal. It wasn't published in English. So no, sorry, you can't use it. And they go, but why? And I go, well, yeah, you just can't. <laughs> well, you you can, but if you want to be APRA compliant, you can't, you know. there's um, So that's where the tricky thing is, is to sort of discern what are the good studies. And um, you know, there are, there are sites out there that publish really good quality studies. So they, you know, so PubMed, for example, they've got, 
they don't just have any old study up there. A lot of them, you know, you look at, you know, you can read whether it's peer reviewed, where it was published, which journal. So um, they all tell you that information. You've got to sort of suss out, you know, what journal was it in and um, is that reputable and which university people who were there and also making sure that there's no conflict of interest in that study. So, you know, people who write those papers have to declare there is is or there isn't Um, because sometimes um, companies who perhaps are manufacturing medical equipment, you know, they they ask for a study to be done, they fund the study, and, of course, they want a certain outcome, don't they? So I've seen if, media releases like that. Correct, you yeah. Know. So you have yeah. to say, you know, the studies have to have no conflicts of interest at all. You know, we're doing a research study to really discover does this work or does it not or is it effective or is it not? Wow. Okay. So what happens if you are not AFRA compliant? Like one, I mean, are you you discovered instantly or is it something like two years down the track, they'll find you and then find you for two years worth of stuff? Or um, yeah, what's the outcome? How how they find out? I guess they have like a scanning thing. um, And then what's the punishment if you do it? Yeah, good question. So, look, um, the way they find out is people, like the general public can make a complaint. So if they see a practitioner saying, you know, you come to us and you will be pain-free forever, like I did an audit of our health practitioner's website and they were claiming, you know, you'll be pain-free. And I'm like, you can't say that because what if they get a headache? What if they cut their hand? That is not pain-free. You can't say that. And he goes, but that's not what I mean. I go, I know but they may not know. So, um, so people can actually report them if they think they're in breach. Um, APRA do, now when health practitioners sign their re- their new renewed registration every, I think it's every year, they have to sign a declaration saying they're complying with those APRA guidelines now. So now look, APRA don't scan and look through absolutely everything. They don't have the resources to. However, they do look at certain industries a little bit more because it's a bit more problematic. So Chinese medicine is one that they really sort of, um, you know, there's just because historically there has been so much non-compliance, same with chiropractors. And, of course, you probably heard about the sur- the plastic surgeons now. They're really being um, under the microscope because there's just been so many botched surgeries. So ARPA is now really clamping down on plastic surgeons. And interestingly, um, I had a plastic surgeon um, contact me today and wants me to do his copy and stuff because, you know, they, they, they know. He said, oh, I haven't even looked at my stuff for, like, 10 years. So <laughs> um, anyway, so... Um, yeah, so they do, there's different ways that they they do look. Um, they obviously can't look at absolutely everybody. So if you're not going to comply, I guess it's a matter of let's keep our fingers and toes crossed that we're not caught. It's kind of like that whole insurance. You pay your insurance policy for your house. Let's just hope we don't need to use it. But if you need to use it and you don't have it, well, then you're in trouble, yeah? So there's different levels of fees. So there's in fees for individuals and then there's fees for companies or they call them body corporates. So the biggest fine um, that you can get as a body corporate is $120,000 <gasps> and and you are fined per offence, not like so if you've got a, a website. So the fee for that, the biggest, most serious fine is using protected titles and specialist titles. So this is another area that I see. So unless you're medical your your medical qualification or your health qualification has a specific specialty subspecialty like an official specialty you can't say you're a specialist 
you cannot say you specialize in. So, for example, you know, I see um, physiotherapists, for example, say we specialize in child physiotherapy. And no, you don't because the physio degree does not have a specialty. You can't specialize in it. You can say we have a we have a special interest or we have lots of experience, but you can't say you're a specialist. And I see a lot, you know, we're specialists in this and we're specialists in that. And um, unless you've actually done a specialty qualification, so, for example, an ophthalmologist, um, you know, I wrote copy for a retinal specialist. Hey, that is a proper specialty, a retinal specialist. And you can look on APRA's website. There is a list of what the specialties are. Are subspecialties. So sometimes, you know, there's GPs can get a specialty in oncology medicine, but they can't say they're a specialist in something else that they're not qualified to be a specialist in. So APRA takes that very, very seriously. And people who are claiming to be specialists when they're not um, can be hit. I think the individual fine, I think, is about $60,000 per offence, per offence, and $120,000 per offence. Um, you can also be jailed and you can also lose your registration to practice. That's so, you know, it's not airy-fairy stuff. I think the smallest fine might be $5,000 per offence. So, you know, if you, that and that would be something for misleading evidence. So, um, you know, if you've got a website, for example, and you've got all these articles about all these different conditions and how the clinic may treat them and you have made false claims or misleading claims 10 times, that's potentially a $50,000 fine. Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing is that APRA doesn't find you straight away. Like they actually send you a letter and say you're in breach of the guidelines. However, I don't think they tell you exactly what it is. They might say regarding what, you know, it's very, very airy-fairy because they're a regulation agency. It's not their job to tell you what you've done wrong. It's their job to tell you you've done something wrong. (laughs) Um, And they're not very good at telling you what the specifics are. So it's up to the health practitioner to go, oh, what have we done wrong? Um, now, APRA, you know, they're not the big bad ogres that people think they are. They do give you a chance to get it right and they want you to get it right. So they'll ask you to review your copy and make amends and you get a, I think you get a certain amount of time to do so um, and they want to see that you've actually made an effort. So if you made an effort, change it, it's still not right. They go, okay, well, it's still not quite there, right? But if they have um, a practitioner who just blatantly ignores it, continues to do what they're doing or is using specialty um, specialist titles that they're not allowed to, even though they've been warned, that's when they will take that action. They'll go, right. And there's been a few um, doctors and Chinese health practitioners who've lost their license because they were claiming to be something they weren't. And that's what can happen, you know, and and not to mention the big fines. And I know most health practitioners, they don't have a lot of spare cash to splash around on APRA fines. You know, it's be- it's far better to invest in getting copy written properly and a compliant than sitting back and worrying at night, oh, my gosh, I hope they don't see the testimonial on my website. Um, you know what I mean? It's like just, yeah, so it's it's a tricky area. Um but it's something it's kind of like that insurance policy i suppose you know you do want to do you want the headache of having to go through all of your advertising and work out what's wrong or do you want to just make sure it's right 
um, in the first place. So did you get a lot of people yeah. um, calling you or emailing you panicked because they got one of those breach letters and they're like, help me, help me, I don't know what I've done wrong, can you fix it? I haven't worked with anybody who's got a breach letter. I have worked with an agency and they would get, because they would were writing copy for health practitioners and they were getting them and they're saying, oh, so we just get, we just got pinged by Alpra and, we're, and they've said this and this and this. So um, I actually worked with them to write um, a manual for their health writers Um because they were based overseas, but they were writing a lot of content for Australian audience, and so they weren't aware of what this APRA thing was. So I wrote them a manual on how to be APRA compliant when writing for health practitioners, and now they don't get pinged nearly as much. Um, you know, and once again, you know, you can write the copy that is APRA compliant, but if that health practitioner changes something or amends something, it's very easy to be non-compliant without meaning to, or you know, or without being aware of. So. Um, part of my my terms and conditions is signing off, okay, what I give you is compliant, but if you change it, you are in danger of breaching that compliancy. It's not my responsibility. I can't be responsible for what people write once they go off and manage their own site and do their own thing, you know? Yeah, and just like it could just be changing something to specialise and not realising all yeah, the exactly. weight behind that one little word, for example. Yeah, yeah. And look, I've got one of my services is to do an to do a check. So I actually I get sometimes I get copywriters to send me they send their copy and say, can you just check that we haven't actually used? And I'll pick up specialized all the time because it's a nice word. It's like, oh, you're specialists. Actually, you're not. So you know, it's it's coming. It's working out what those alternative words are as well. So you, you know, you're not saying it will treat you. It may help your symptoms. Like it, there's a there's so much. Um, depth to what these misleading terms are that you can sit here on a podcast for like eight hours and go through them all. But <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask for like a few more instead of just like yeah, will may I have heard of that one and that's what I've I've done yeah. before. Any others that's kind of yeah. come to mind? Yeah, so you've got to be really careful when listing benefits. So for example, um, they say you know this may treat, uh, it may help you with back pain, neck pain, and then you start listing all the things. The longer the list the shakier ground you're on um and you also cannot make claims regarding other conditions so for example some there's one um example on the website on upper Water website and it talks about um you know this treatment may help with um lower back pain and um whatever it might be neck pain or something and asthma well it doesn't help with asthma it helps with the symptoms that of you know all that coughing and not being able to breathe it helps manage or reduce the pain related to the symptoms of asthma <laughs> you know what i mean yes. so you can't say it helps with asthma it, it's and it's the symptoms related to respiratory disease so it's not respiratory so you know you can also say oh look you know it'll reduce i see this quite a bit you know well you can reduce your risk of covid it's like don't think you can i think you and or you know reduce the risk of covid complications um probably not you're re actually reducing the symptoms that are related to all of that coughing that covid gave you you know so i had covid myself and i had i was so uh, coughing so much that i needed to see a chiropractor then they're not claiming <laughs> that they're going to help me recover from long covid they're getting my skeleton back because covid made you know, all the coughing sort of upset that. So you can't say we help you recover from COVID. 
yet yeah, no, we help you recover from. So you've got to really well, same be. like you've been in a car accident, you know, God forbid, and they're helping you, a car is helping you. Well, they're not going to help you with the whole trauma, the emotional and the mental and all exactly. that may come from it. Right. Um, yeah, so you just, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, you have to really say, be specific about what is the condition you're coming to and it may reduce symptoms related to other things but you can't claim that that's a benefit of treatment because it's you're looking at symptoms rather than the condition so you've got to separate those two out yes okay so you said before it's very hard to find the the compliance list do you have any (laughs) tips of or if you can send me links i can put in the show notes a web yeah our listeners can go to just double check they are being compliant or who they speak to to make sure they are yeah so look i'm happy to send you the link to the APRA website where there's advertising guidelines but they seem to be broken up into different areas which is not really sensible so you kind of got to you might read one thing and you go that's all I need to know but then there's this whole other section that you haven't actually found so one thing that I've done is I've developed a free checklist that people can just download off my website and it's like the quick little checklist you know basic things about you know are you have you said um, cure have you used the word cure Um, all those little um, things to be aware of um, and there's quite a lot of things to be aware of including um, incentives and giving away gifts and all those kinds of things you, you know you can't have competitions that encourages people to book appointments that they don't actually need um, there's a whole lot of stuff that you've got to be aware of so my checklist is a really quick little thing that you can go okay these are the kinds of things to be careful about um you can look on the on the um, APRA website if you've got a lot of time to sort of navigate through. Um, there, I think you can actually download the full PDF document. It's quite long, and you can sit there and read that at night before you go to bed <laughs> if you want to. Oh, yes, good uh, bedtime reading. I sleep within five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, if there's a health practitioner, they can always go to their to their board that's, you know, so within APRA there's different boards. So if you're a chiropractor, for example, go to your board and I'm sure that there's people there who can give you a bit of a help with that or maybe even be able to say, look, these are the studies that we know support evidence of, you know, helping out with musculoskeletal conditions or whatever it might be um, they're a really good place to to go to um, and then you know finding somebody who actually understands the guidelines as well and can help you write content so it's one thing to understand the guidelines and it's another thing to be able to write content but to marry them together is quite a skill um, so finding somebody like that and look I'm not the only person who can do that there's other people around the country who can um, so yeah and I guess you know at the end of the day you just really want to, um, APRA want to see that you're genuinely trying to follow guidelines um, and being, you know, if you if you got something on your website and you've written something and there's a whole stack of references, they're going to go, look, this person's really trying to do the right thing and we can see that they've got these references. There might be one or two words that they've inadvertently used, but they're, you know, overall they're not out to hoodwink the public. So, um, yeah, so there's, look, there's a few little places you can go. Um, APRA don't they're a regulation agency they don't give out advice unfortunately um so they can't give you clarification on something but that's perhaps where you can go and talk to the actual board that governs your industry awesome yeah. like i said i know the basics enough to, I, have, I haven't had any medical um people come to me and usually those that come to me for copywriting don't have to worry about the APRA compliance which is why i haven't had to dabble too much into it but definitely mm. i'm gonna get 
yeah, those resources are going to be handy and I'll put them on my website and um, yeah. make sure I'm a bit more across those six things um, <laughs> for sure because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to inadvertently. I mean, also, you know, I have a team of copyrights too, so I want to make sure they're across so if they're going to be uh, working on these things. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I knew that the basics, like not saying promises, no guarantees. You say you may help, not will. I mean, that just, to me, just yeah. makes sense in general because you cannot say this will help you do the, I, I personally, even with copywriting, don't like guaranteeing things because yeah, in the yeah, content exactly. marketing world, nothing's guaranteed um, when, you know, people need multiple touch points before they make a sale and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really interesting. Thanks for this. Um, now I'm going to ask yeah. you what I always ask my guests as we wrap things up. And the first one is uh, what's the best form of marketing for your business, Marissa? So at the moment, Google is working a treat. I'm getting a lot of leads. So, you know, um, having my SEO work for me has been fantastic because I don't actually have to pay advertising. I've never paid for advertising. So Google and um, word of mouth referral, um, I often get a lot of uh, the clients who've coming back to me or clients that have been referred to me by past clients. Um, and LinkedIn's not too bad either. You know, I'm getting a few little leads there. So look, social the other social medias, um, you know, like I'm not even on TikTok. So we, <laughs> my audience isn't there. Um, and nor is Instagram. Um, so that's my sort of marketing that does well for me. And it's it's good because you know it just is a free way to get business, yeah. you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's an investment that keeps paying off. I'll put, I'll say that because you know, learning SEO wasn't a free thing, but it's an investment that really continues to pay off. Yeah, you did um Kate's SEO recipe course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what I did yeah. too. But yeah. I mean, look, my new website's finally been launched, and so I might now go reflect on those notes and revisit because I didn't want to do that with my yeah. old website. I'm like, people are just going to jump back out anyway because it's ugly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm like, all right, 2023, like between my VA and I, like really get on top of the SEO and make that work. Um, yeah. So, And how do you look after your health and wellness? Well, look, I have time for myself every day. I walk every day, usually first thing in the morning. Um, I train a couple of times a week. I prioritise my sleep and I make sure that I have downtime so last year you know being in Melbourne the last last year and the year before we were in lockdown for a long long time and towards the end of last year I was I was kind of limping towards the end of the year by you know September October was like oh when's the end of the year coming um I've only got four weeks left of working this year and I'm like I'm not even not even needing a holiday because I've had time I've, I've taken days off I've taken breaks um and if I need an afternoon off, I will take an afternoon off. Um, I've learned that I don't need to be sitting here working, working, working all the time. There's way more to life than working. Um, and the more breaks that I have, and not to say that I'm always on a break, but if I feel like I need a break, I take it now because I know when I come back, I'm excited to be at my desk. I'm more creative. I'm more productive. Um, and so this year, it, that has worked really well in terms of just – I. I haven't not once this year thought, I just need a holiday. And we're like, what, nearly at the end of the year. So for me, taking that time and and just doing something for myself every day. So, you know, doing that, that walking and exercising, looking at, um, you know, am I eating? Look, I'm not the perfect eater and I don't claim claim I ever want to be. Life's too short to be eating healthy all the time. Um, But looking at, you know, what will that give me energy or will it not? You know what I mean? Or how will I feel when I've, 
eaten it. I might feel like it's nice in my mouth, but how I feel after that, that so asking that sort of looking more beyond the initial moment, you know, in terms of what's going to be the payoff or the negative thing. Um, and I guess the other thing it's is sounds very um, woo-woo and spiritual, but staying present, um, you know, it reduces a lot of stress. So often we're, when we're stressed, we're either worrying about the future that hasn't happened or we're obsessing about the past which we can't change. But if we're right in the very, very present moment, there's nothing to worry about or stress about because the moment is what it is, you know, and if you're just really present, um, that does a lot to reduce stress. And I guess, you know, there's stress relief techniques and things that do help, but it's, you know, if there's something that is stressful in your life, it's looking at what is the root cause of that and then solving that. So rather than, oh, I've got to do yoga and meditation and burn candles and this and that, but you're really, really stressed because you're trying to do too many things, that's not going to, all those, you know, the yoga and stuff may sort of help you keep doing the busy things, but it's not going to solve the problem. So it's looking at what is the thing that's giving you the most um, pain or irritation or, you know, weighing you down the most and dealing with that because when you get rid of that, everything else just flows so much better. I love that. And it's so true. The times that I'm all snappy, it's like at the kids or whatever, it's because I've got something else in my mind about, yeah, worrying about the future, obsessing about the past, like you said. Uh, yeah. But when I'm just just playing, like the times where I'm just being silly with my six-year-old and go, she's not getting dressed. Okay, it's an upside down getting dressed day and just purely be present and trying to work out how to dress a kid upside down. Uh, you know, that, then you yeah. feel so much better than go, oh, hurry up, we're going to look at the time. We're going, we're going to be late again. You're yeah. lighter. You're freer, aren't yeah. you? You know, yeah. <laughs> there's more to life than being stressed out about stuff that, you know, doesn't always matter. And that's the other thing is like, what does it matter in next week, five years, 10 years? Will I even think about it when I'm, you know, on my deathbed at the end of my life? Probably not. So it's probably not worth thinking about oh, now, you know. Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> uh, and uh, how can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook as well. You can also check out my website, which is melbournehealthwriter.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram, although my you know, people can follow me there and get any business through there. That's more of my just, you yes. know, you've got to be present on some social media thing. I will not be on TikTok for a, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be on TikTok. Oh, I wouldn't um, bother either, don't worry. <laughs> I, honestly, I just don't have the time. I look at all these things and I think, how do people have the time? I'd rather spend my time sitting on the couch with my book and just chilling out than having them do another thing to market myself when that's not where my audience is anyway, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that's the other thing, I guess, it's looking at your return of investment, why you do what you do, what do you get out of it? And if you don't get anything out of it, then maybe stop doing that thing that's keeping you so busy and stressed and do something that's keeping you a bit more relaxed. That's it. I haven't had a real for Instagram in ages, actually, and I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done a real on Instagram and I'm okay. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, we'll be seeing you at a retreat um, that Kate oh, running in end of February. Great hanging out for that uh but yes yeah. thank you narissa this has been fantastic and thank you dear listener for tuning in you can find show notes for the episode at marketingandme.com.au if you enjoyed listening please subscribe and leave me a rating or review and grab a screenshot of this episode and share it across your socials if you're interested in connecting with me feel free to reach out via linkedin just search for leanne shelton and let me know you're a fan of the show you can also follow me on instagram under leanne shelton 247 
to book in a free 15 minute chat because I'd absolutely love to chat about how I can help you grow a thriving health and wellness business. Until next time, I wish you good health and good wealth.